0: This week, I'm joined by Professor Shirley McIlvenny, a doctor originally from Northern Ireland, but now on the Gold Coast of Australia, who works at the National Institute of Integrative Medicine and has been both a professor of family medicine and education. For those who have been following this podcast series, I spoke to Shirley at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic regarding her clinical experience with intravenous vitamin C, but today, we are talking about post COVID or long COVID and how to recover naturally. Dr. Shirley has an excellent online program to take you through the process of speeding up recovery from long COVID, the details of which are on the website. If you sign up, please use the code PH, it's my name, Patrick Oliver, PH10, because Dr. Shirley will then donate Uh, 10% of your course fee to help fund our vitamin C care home study. No one has ever measured what elderly people in care homes actually need in the way of vitamin C. With almost half of all COVID deaths in the UK and the first wave being in care homes, we have to find out. Grandparents' lives matter. Shirley, welcome back to my podcast.
1: Thanks for inviting me. It's great to
0: be back again. Yes, I don't want to ask you how life is on the Gold Coast, because we're all desperate for sun, and you've probably got <laughs> lots of it, and you're going to make me envious. But yes, how, yes. How, how how are you?
1: Well, I'm very well, thanks. We got back to Australia in November, and every, things here in Queensland are pretty good. You know, most things are open, so people are having a almost normal lifestyle, but it's not the case in all parts of Australia, but Queensland's doing well.
0: Yes, uh, we in the UK, we've, we've been sort of hit pretty bad, but uh, the, the end or a bit of freedom is, is in sight. Anyway, let's dive straight in. What sort of percentages of people who've had a COVID infection classify as long COVID?
1: Yes, an interesting question, and of course it's early stages yet, but it seems to be about 20% of sufferers will have some kind of long COVID problem, such as fatigue or perhaps respiratory problems. And how long
0: does it normally take people to recover?
1: Well, normally you would recover within about two weeks after getting the infection, so two to four weeks is considered to be normal. And therefore, the definition of long COVID is that it lasts longer than 30 days.
0: Okay, I wondered what, what the definition was. And what are, the, um, what are the sort of classic symptoms of long COVID?
1: Well, the symptoms are many and varied. Uh, there's a long list of possible symptoms. Uh, headaches, joint pain, fatigue, fatigue and brain fog are very very common and then the mental health issues such as depression and anxiety then there's gut problems diarrhea abdominal pain and then some strange problems like hair falling out now many of these can be explained by the process of how the virus affects her body and the problems that arise for example zinc stores may be used up by the immune system and then that leads to your hair falling out through zinc deficiency which which is something i see often in my clinic
0: and uh, do they vary
1: substantially from
0: person to person or are we looking at a sort of quite a common cluster of, of issues
1: well, there are common clusters, but yes, there's a great variety in the number of symptoms and the severity of the symptoms and how long they last. And so everyone's a little bit different. It depends on how the virus affects your body and perhaps also where your deficiencies and weaknesses lie before you got the infection. So if you have brain fog, for example, it's perhaps because the virus is still hiding in cells in your brain tissue if you have gut problems uh, perhaps your gut was already vulnerable before the infection and the virus has just tipped you over the edge into actual symptoms
0: and we've heard a lot about vitamin c d and zinc being low in covid patients what role do they play in recovery
1: Yes, very important because they help the immune system fight any remaining virus and expel it from the tissues around the body. And that's really step one of your recovery. So in my program, I've included vitamin C, D and zinc right up there as the number one supplements that you need to take to start your recovery.
0: What sort of level are you talking about?
1: Yes, very good question. And you know, at least two to three grams a day. Um, So you may not need the high doses that perhaps you would have taken during the actual virus infection. But um, three grams a day is a good place to start. Some people get diarrhea with that. Most people will be able to cope with three grams a day. Uh, Vitamin D, I would recommend 5,000 units a day, particularly for people in the UK, because at this time of year, the vitamin D is probably going to be quite low. Mm -hmm. So, and you can get weekly um, supplements now. We just take the vitamin D once a week. So that's really handy for people. And then with zinc, you know, ideally 50 milligrams. Some people can't tolerate that if their zinc's really low. It makes them nauseous. So if 50 milligrams makes you nauseous, then start with 25 milligrams.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is very consistent with how I would think. We've, we've been supplying intensive care units with, uh, and hospitals with uh, vitamin C urine sticks. And uh, interestingly, of course, this is in a state of, of infection that many people need six grams just to get Mm. some vitamin C. But basically, we should always be excreting some vitamin C. Once you you reach blood saturation, you will excrete some. But of course, that's in a state of active infection. And if you look at uh, sort of an increasing blood levels of vitamin C, you don't really get much more increase after two and a half grams. So two to three grams, you know, if you're not currently infected, it does seem to be about the maximum that you can take in. And yeah, 25 milligrams of zinc, that makes you know—that makes a lot of sense. Is there a form of zinc that is sort of more gentle um, for people who do get a little bit of gastrointestinal effects from it?
1: Um, well, I don't know that any of them are more gentle than the others, but certainly the picolinate seems to be absorbed better. And so mm. you may... Get away with lower doses uh, rather than the zinc sulfate or uh, the other forms of zinc. So I always try to prescribe the picolinate. And but I also tell people to you know never take it on an empty stomach, mm-hmm. and also if they take the zinc last thing at night before they go to bed, then the nausea occurs while they're asleep, so they don't notice it. So there are some sort of just practical tips that can help people. Um, get around this nausea that a very low zinc seems to produce on people.
0: And we've heard quite a lot about zinc. Um, I mean, being in a very profound antiviral agent, but uh, inactive infection uh, with the coronavirus, it's quite hard to get it inside cells and zinc ionophores help. Um, that hydroxychloroquine is a zinc ionophore, mm-hmm. but so too is quercetin, the natural agent quercetin, very rich in red onions, is that. Uh, also <laughs> helpful in this kind of recovery process?
1: Yes, it can be. And eating those foods that are rich in quercetin, like red onions, red grapes, uh, those sort of foods uh, can certainly help. But I like to focus on the whole process. So not just getting it into the cell, but getting adequate doses in your diet and and supplements, mm-hmm. but also gut function. So whenever you have a you know gut permeability or gluten intolerance one of the minerals that's very poorly absorbed is zinc so you get zinc deficiency Mm -hmm. very early on and so addressing the gut issues will help the absorption of gut into your system and then things like quercetin will help you get it into your cells so that's why i think a holistic approach is really important because it's not just um, you know, if you're not getting the quercetin into your cells because your gut's not working, yes, it's you know it's trying to work on its own. So you have to look at everything, um, you know, the supplements, the foods, the gut function, and then adding in your ionophores as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a holistic process.
0: Yeah, and quercetin is very interesting because it's also such a brilliant anti-inflammatory in the lungs. And uh, I, I wondered if quercetin might help people who are having sort of breathlessness and sort of lung residual lung problems.
1: Yes, and tackling inflammation, I think, is a very important part of healing in the lung. So you know, some people have a lot of inflammation in their bodies generally from a poor diet or inflammatory processes, various disease processes. So the more that you can calm that inflammation down, the more lung repair you're going to get. And, uh, and so it's very important to to look at all of those issues around inflammation. Uh, so the quercetin, zinc, zinc, um, Omega-3, all of these things are all going to help together.
0: Yes, I've been giving people 250 milligrams of quercetin twice a day, and it does it does seem to help. Now, on the vitamin C front, of course, vitamin C is also vital for collagen formation. Do you think some of these long haulers with muscle issues and reduced lung capacity and you know puffing as they walk up the stairs, et cetera? Do you think that some of that could actually be to do with? You know collagen breakdown from having had several weeks of if you like virally induced vitamin C deficiency.
1: Yes, I mean I think that could play a part in the overall picture. But certainly inflammation is very important um cause of the shortness of breath mm-hmm. and also the muscle pain. So I think we're in the early stages It might be impossible to tease that out just at the moment, exactly what is uh, contributing. But we can assume that um, lack of collagen, uh, high amounts of inflammatory chemicals, um, a lack of the nutrients that you need for repair, these are all going to be important in getting your lung function back to what it was before.
0: Yes, of course it's, I mean, I was looking up research on long COVID and I mean, there's so little now. Uh, There's, there Mm -hmm. there are studies just beginning. uh, And of course, in relation to nutrition, that'll probably, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it takes us a year before we've got any, you know, substantial uh, research. So most most of the evidence, so to speak now is clinical coming from people like you working with, uh, you know, with these long haulers. I did note a very interesting um, study in relation to COVID which found that high homocysteine levels um, was a very good predictor of of actual um, lung damage and hence poor lung recovery. Homocysteine is a measure of poor methylation and uh, that process of methylation is very dependent on B vitamins. Uh, What are your thoughts about
1: Mm -hmm. this? Yes. Well, people with methylation problems, especially under methylation, often have a weak immune system and are vulnerable to infections and they can have delayed healing. So I think balancing the methylation is an important part of recovery. And I do work closely with people who have methylation issues. So they often cause a lot of mental health issues. And both under-methylators and over-methylators. So I think um, B vitamins are very important, but also zinc is also very important for balancing up methylation. So if people have been diagnosed as having a methylation problem, uh, I think they often need specialized guidance because it can be quite complicated. So, you know, I, um, I deal with people who have a lot of extreme methylation problems. And it can be quite tricky to to tease those out and work out the best treatment. Is it, is it certainly worth, B vitamin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, is
0: it worth measuring homocysteine in people who have long COVID?
1: That's a good question. I guess, well, everything helps. You know, it helps to give the person a picture give the the health professional as well a picture of where the issues are and so yes high homocysteine levels are quite common and it would be good to be able to measure those uh, as well as the zinc levels and some of the b vitamin levels that we measure routinely here and so you can put together a picture of where the problem is and how you're going to solve it
0: yes because i mean high- i don't know how to- Yeah, I mean, high homocysteine is so strongly correlated with, you know, cognitive dysfunction um, with low mood in women. So my thinking is that if, uh, you know, if there are mood issues, if there are cognitive issues, it might well be worth um, looking at at that because also methylation is such a, uh, you know, we have, what is it, a billion methylation reactions every two seconds. And by the way, there's effectively two, pathways for lowering high homocysteine, improving methylation. One is very dependent on vitamin B12 and folate, and B6 is important too, but the other depends on zinc and trimethylglycine. So there are a lot of homocysteine formulas out there, or homocysteine modulating formulas that contain all of those. It's um, Mm. certainly an area I think needs to be researched.
1: well i mean what we the problem with i have with just testing the homocysteine is it's very non-specific and so it doesn't tell you exactly where the problem is so we try Mm -hmm. to delve a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. and try to find where the problem is in those two cycles and therefore work out which one needs to be supported Mm -hmm. so with some people um particularly under methylation it tends to vary in speed. So it can be very slow for a few days and they get very flat and then it speeds up uh, for a few days or a week or two and they get very hyper. And so trying to balance that methylation out and smooth it out is very um, important point to, to get to in the treatment. So I guess what I'm saying is That there are a lot of tools you can use to delve a bit deeper Mm -hmm. into um, like the folate and b12 issue and whether people need methylated folate or not Mm -hmm. and um, but i would say that anyone who's got high homocysteine would probably benefit Mm -hmm. from b vitamins you know a a mega b complex to start off with and then if they can delve a little bit deeper uh, to look at different individual B vitamins and also the methylated folate. Um, That would be a good starting point.
0: Yes, it seems to me the other issue is that an awful lot of people who've been treated for critical COVID are being given antibiotics. And uh, also what I've heard here in intensive care units is in the second wave is there was a lot more um, secondary infections. and We're talking about bacterial pneumonia. And uh, some doctors have been um, lamenting the fact that um, steroids have been given too early. And uh, for those listening, once a person tips into the cytokine storm phase, which is not principally a viral infection, but the immune system overreacting, the combination of steroids with Uh, vitamin C intravenous is an absolute lifesaver. But the problem with steroids is they depress immunity. And uh, when the studies came out showing that dexamethasone uh, worked, uh, I think that a lot of people have been given steroids too early, that's depressed immunity, that's allowed a secondary bacterial pneumonia to occur. So the use of antibiotics in these cases has been an absolute lifesaver. But the problem of course, uh, if you're taking antibiotics and already in an inflammatory state, is uh, what's it going to do to your gut? Uh, So what do you think about uh, gut health, probiotics, bacteria, et cetera, in relation to long COVID?
1: Yes, Uh, I think it's very important. And, you know, definitely, if you're taking strong antibiotics uh, for a long time, it is going to have an effect on your gut microbiome. Now, probiotics are important, but they're more about policing the the gut biome rather than having a lasting effect. So most probiotics only last in your system about two weeks. And I think the experts are now thinking that prebiotics are actually a better long term so the prebiotic foods that feed your healthy gut bacteria so if you if you've had um, a course of antibiotics and often people have more than one uh, when they're in hospital then probiotics are probably okay for a couple of weeks but really what you've got to look at is a long term take a long term view of your gut health uh, eat the pro- prebiotic foods perhaps take a prebiotic. Uh, supplement with uh, there's lots of powders that will um, feed the healthy gut bacteria that are left and what happens is you know the antibiotics knock off lots of the healthy bacteria in your biome so there are gaps left now you want to fill those with healthy bacteria and not allow unhealthy bacteria to take a hold in those gaps so the prebiotic foods um, and the prebiotic powders will help the healthy bacteria fill those gaps quickly. And also, you know, fermented foods. So um, things like kombucha, um, kimchi, um, all of those, sauerkraut, all of those sort of things can help as well. And um, really just encourage the the rapid growth of the healthy gut bacteria that you need and then that's going to help your absorption of the other supplements and nutrients that you're taking so i like to take a long-term view rather than just you know a month of a, a probiotic mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people fail to take a probiotic and that's all they have to do but yes. that's just the start
0: yes i usually say two weeks of uh, you know a sort of good blend of acidophilus bifidus etc but what mm. are the best prebiotic foods and supplements powders
1: right well there's quite a lot of foods that uh, are good prebiotics so obviously vegetables are very important legumes things like cacao so when i say cacao i don't mean your average chocolate bar i mean real cacao um, that you can buy in the health food shops and you can make lots of tasty dishes with cacao and um bliss balls and different things so um and these can be a great replacement for people who crave chocolate and often the craving of chocolate is a sign that you're short of things like tryptophan and zinc so um you know uh, cacao bananas uh, legumes and lots of vegetables Mm -hmm. and that's a really good start
0: Yes, the prebiotics are feeding the bacteria. So enabling yes. your gut bacteria to kind of restore to a good state of, of health. Yes. Um, yeah, my interest in, in you know, gut issues also, especially in um, older people, is that B12 malabsorption is just rife. And mm, uh, you know, yes. without, without B12, you can't do methylation and that's just so critical. So I think that probably, I would imagine that quite a lot of people with long COVID had other underlying issues and this has just tipped them into um, a state where their recovery is much worse I mean do you find that do you find for example that help you know younger people recover faster than older people or healthier people recover faster than less healthy Uh, what's your view in that area
1: (laughs) well I think yeah we've got different groups Uh, definitely the elderly and b12 deficiency very common and I think you know, gut permeability, gluten intolerance is becoming so common now because of the high levels of gluten in bread and the genetically modified kinds of wheat that we're using to make bread these days. So, you know, when you've got gluten intolerance, B12 deficiency and zinc deficiency are the first things that show up. So a lot of people with low B12 have kind of an incipient gluten intolerance. That hasn't been discovered and so that's why i say to people you know even if you don't think you've got any symptoms try going gluten-free for three months to try and uh allow some gut healing and you know when you're taking the supplements then you're going to get better absorption if you have gut healing so that's part of the elderly. I think in the young people we're also seeing a lot of gut problems. I mean, it's surprising how much um, celiac disease and Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis we're seeing in young uh, young adults and teenagers now. So that's I think it's probably related to diet. I think it's probably related to a lot of processed foods and emulsifiers that are stripping the gut of its protective layers. And so I think there's just as many gut problems with young people now, and you can address that with um, looking for gluten intolerance, going gluten free, but also removing a lot of the processed foods and particularly the unhealthy oils um, and, as I say, emulsifiers from our diet. So eating fresh uh, is going to go a long way into improving the gut function.
0: You mentioned uh, omegas, the essential fats, and of course, we're talking about inflammation as being a primary process that you know needs to be brought under control. So, what role do essential fats have to play in COVID recovery? Mm.
1: Yes, yeah, very important. And a lot of people have an imbalance of their essential fatty acids, so they're not getting enough omega three and too much inflammatory omega-6 so some omega-6 is healthy like the omega-6s you get in olive oil and evening primrose oil but there's a lot of unhealthy omega-6s in processed fats and so when you look at the average person they've got too much of that omega-6 and not enough omega-3 so taking omega-3 supplements i think is really really important to balance that up particularly if you have an inflammatory process like long COVID going on. And of course it can affect things like our uh, brain because the myelin sheath uh, covering our nerve cells are made up mostly of omega-3. So when you're very short of omega-3, that's kind of stripped raw and you have inflammatory omega-6s in there. So your nerves are very irritable and jangly and, and people get very irritable and grumpy and it can make anxiety worse if your myelin sheath isn't full of nice, calm omega-3 that um, really helps the transmission of those electrical signals along our nerves. So what I'm saying is there's several reasons why omega-3 is really important, but it's got to be the right kind of omega-3 and, and cheap fish oil is just is not going to do it for you.
0: So you want a fish oil that really gives you a measured amount of EPA and DHA?
1: Yes, because the DHA in particular is very important for our brain. That's what our myelin sheath uh, contains is DHA, which is one of the omega-3s. Um, EPA is the other one. So when you get fish oil tablets, they usually contain both. But you really want to have an omega-3 that has a lot of DHA in it, particularly if you have brain fog or mental health symptoms uh, to help have that absorbed into the brain and into the myelin sheath.
0: And if you're vegan, you can get DHA from uh, algae, derived from algae. But I I eat chia seeds. I think they're wonderful. But um, those vegetable sources of omega-3, which is technically called alpha-linolenic acid or ALA, not so much converts through to DHA. Uh, Is it enough to just have these seeds? Or really, do you need to be supplementing some source of DHA?
1: Well, I think people, particularly vegans, need to be supplementing because I think if you're just relying on chia, it's really hard to get enough. You have to eat a lot of chia to balance that up. So I would say, you know, getting a vegan source of omega-3. And the one I like is Dr. Udo's oil. So Dr. Mm -hmm. Udo is a Canadian doctor that developed... Uh, an omega-3 oil that is a vegan source so it's made with sesame seeds and, and algae and it has a variation that has DHA in it which is wonderful we use it a lot with autism and ADHD mm-hmm. it's very effective so you know that's what I recommend for people uh, even if they're not vegan I, I really like that preparation I think it's great uh, but if you're going to buy fish oil then you really want to have a source that is free from mercury and plastic. So you want to make sure that's being tested. So check the labels to make sure they're being tested for mercury and plastic, mm. because that will definitely not help your brain if you're taking that in, in your fish oil tablets.
0: Um, here in the UK, in, in my range, I have a product called um, Essentials for Vegans, and it's, uh, it's DHA, derived from algae vitamin D3, the most powerful form of D3, derived from uh, lichen, 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 and vitamin B12, and also phospholipids. So it's four nutrients in one. And that might be particularly helpful. Um, and now, I know you're an expert in chronic fatigue syndrome and mitochondrial dysfunction. Uh, is this a big part of long COVID recovery?
1: Yes, I believe so. And there are there is some research uh, studies linking chronic fatigue from viral infections like COVID-19 with poor mitochondrial function. And I mean, post-viral fatigue is not new. It's been around for a long time. You know, we see a lot of people who've had flu or Epstein-Barr virus and they're fatigued for six months or more. So, I've been using a mitochondrial approach to help them get back to fully functioning again and full recovery. And also we see particularly in athletes, athletes have a lot of difficulty getting back to their previous performance after they've had a bad virus infection. And so a lot of the research has been done on athletes. A lot of the efforts have been put into getting athletes back Uh, into normal functioning but the same principles can apply to anybody even if you don't do any exercise you know there's there's good evidence that poor mitochondrial function can affect your shortness of breath your exercise tolerance but also your repair and healing so your mitochondria primarily produce energy but they produce a lot of oxidative stress as well
0: Yes. Could you explain what mitochondria are, what mitochondrial dysfunction means, and uh, what are the sort of hero nutrients that are required to recover mitochondria?
1: Right. Well, mitochondria are little, what they're called organelles, but they're just little parts of a cell that are very, very important in producing energy. So if you if most of your listeners are familiar with what a cell is, you know, it's it's got a nucleus and it's got um, various parts of it called organelles that ha- serve functions. And the function of the mitochondria is to produce energy. So they take in oxygen and then there's a whole process that converts um, a chemical to ATP. Anyone in the fitness industry will know ATP. And it's what our muscles use for energy. And then there's a cycle where the ATP goes round again and some more oxygen is involved. And it, so it's the cycle of producing energy that should be continuous uh, within our muscles and all our organs of our body. Now, there's a lot of evidence to show that mitochondrial dysfunction or poor functioning of the mitochondria is associated with all sorts of chronic diseases like diabetes and dementia and Alzheimer's. So it's they're very, very important. One of the problems with mitochondria is they're kind of turbo So they they take in the oxygen and they produce ATP. But in the process of doing that, they produce a lot of exhaust fumes. So it's a bit like a car that is um, using fuel. But there's a lot of fumes come out the back end and that can add to the inflammation that's going in, on in your body and it can create a lot of oxidative stress, which is very inflammatory. So even just by dealing with that and getting rid of that oxidative stress can improve your mitochondrial function. Uh, but also looking at the front end and what the mitochondria need to function properly uh, can also help. So the hero nutrients that go in the back end that get rid of the oxidative stress would be you know, your vitamin C and anything that helps you produce glutathione, which is our own strong antioxidant and then in the front end you've got coq10 you've got vitamin b3 uh, magnesium very important and also carnitine these are things that the mitochondria need at the front end to produce the energy so you've got those two approaches the front end and the back end and those hero nutrients are really important and a lot of people don't get enough of them uh, in their diet or they don't absorb them uh, well enough but um The other thing that's really interesting, and it comes more from the fitness industry, is looking at the number of mitochondria per cell. So when people have a a post-viral fatigue, they often have less mitochondria per cell than they should. So some of the mitochondria have died off. So that's a third approach is encouraging your body to make new mitochondria and get that number back up again so that you've got plenty of energy-making capacity.
0: Yes, I've been running retreats here on my five day diet, which is a fasting mimicking diet designed to trigger the process autophagy, which encourages making more mitochondria, making new, fresh, shiny, wonderful uh, energy (laughs) factories. By the way, uh, niacin, vitamin B3 and NAD uh, comes up a lot in conversations around um, COVID recovery. Can you talk a little bit about that? What sort of intake of B3 helps to recover mitochondrial function?
1: Yes. Well, I often give B3 with the carnitine because the two of them work together, uh, particularly on fat metabolism to help your mitochondria use fat as energy. Uh, rather than glucose, which is traditionally what we thought mitochondria needed. But um, so those things have been used traditionally also in weight loss and helping athletes become more fat adapted. Uh, So long distance runners, marathon runners, that sort of thing. Um, So there's a lot of history with using these for mitochondrial function. With B3, I usually recommend uh, 500 milligrams twice a day with the carnitine so that's Mm -hmm. easy for people to take Um, some people take more but I think that's that's a good starting point
0: yes I mean the RDA is uh, 18 milligrams so one gram of niacin 500 milligram twice a day is something nutritional therapists use a lot uh, in Mm. you know for various different conditions and the other nutrient you uh, mentioned is magnesium should we be supplementing magnesium how much
1: Mm. Yes. Well, I think most people are not taking enough magnesium in their diet. Uh, there are a lot of healthy foods that you get magnesium from and we're not eating enough of them. Magnesium is so interesting because it's what makes plants green. We don't store it as well as we store calcium and magnesium and calcium are linked together. But We need to continuously take in magnesium in our diet because it's used in so many processes in our body. It's it's so essential to processes and in particular mitochondrial function. So you need to keep replacing those stores every day. So that's the leafy green vegetables, really important. And supplementing, well, probably 400 milligrams a day and maybe even more depending on what you're doing. But starting with... um, 400 milligrams
0: a day. I was looking at uh, some evolutionary calculations of what our ancestors used to consume in the way of magnesium and calcium. And there's pretty much even most uh, studies suggest that we were taking in 500 milligrams of magnesium, maybe 600 milligrams of calcium, something like that. But today Mm -hmm. the average person is taking in about 250 milligrams of magnesium in total and possibly even double Uh, the calcium. So the the balance is certainly no way out.
1: Yeah. And this creates a lot of problems like muscle aches and calcium being deposited in our muscles and in our blood vessels. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it is really important. People are focusing on calcium because that's what they're hearing. In the media but magnesium is just as important and the, the good news is that once you start balancing it up you can actually get rid of a lot of that calcification mm-hmm. and um it'll be resorbed again mm. so it you know it, it's never too late to start changing it and doing things with your diet and with your supplements
0: yes I, I have a i have a supplement here which is called no blush niacin which is actually magnesium plus vitamin c plus niacin so two mm gives you that that one gram and the sort of back end of this mitochondrial function you know the exhaust fume end a lot of people will be aware that there are antioxidant formulas out there that contain often glutathione or its precursor called n-acetyl um, cysteine or NAC, uh, lipoic acid alpha lipoic acid coenzyme q vitamin c you know that's that's going to be very helpful at the sorry, mm. exhaust fume end. Um, yes. Are there some symptoms that are particularly indicative, we're talking long COVID symptoms, that mitochondrial dysfunction may be, you know, a significant part of the issue?
1: Well, I think the number one is fatigue. And if your mitochondria aren't working properly you you don't have the capacity to make a lot of energy so you're going to feel fatigued towards the end of the day you might not have very restful sleep when you try to exercise you're going to have severe fatigue the next day so your exercise intolerance isn't very good um i think the brain fog is certainly related to poor mitochondrial function i mean it's difficult to separate out symptoms that are not related to mitochondrial function in my opinion um you know i think when you look closely at the cellular level a lot of these symptoms can be related Mm -hmm. to mitochondrial function so by fixing that up i think a lot of the symptoms will disappear
0: so what you're saying really is just assume that it is and do supplement things like you know the vitamin b3 magnesium antioxidants Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so and and You know, what, how, when people are doing your program, um, how long is it taking people to recover? In other words, well, just to ask that question, really, and what are the most resistant symptoms do you find?
1: Well, I think that some people start recovering within a couple of weeks just by doing, you know, the first phase of supplements and changing their diet and, and doing some gentle exercise. So it's very variable, but I think if you have long COVID symptoms and you're doing this program, you're realistically looking at three to six months mm-hmm. to get back to your old self. And I think the important point is to go slowly mm-hmm. and be patient and be kind to yourself and not try to rush it and, you know, get frustrated. You know, there's, The rest of your life, there's plenty of time to get back to your previous performance, whether you're an athlete or just somebody who was fit or uh, even just, someone who's got a lot of symptoms to get rid of all those symptoms takes time and I think you get a better long-term result if you go slowly and you rest more at this stage at this early stage rather than trying to do things quickly and looking to get back to exercise too quickly
0: I notice in your uh, program that there is sort of phase one is the first two weeks, and that's where you're talking a lot about things like vitamin C, D, zinc, and so on. And then phase two, it cranks it up a bit more, moving mm-hmm. into sorting out mitochondrial dysfunction. So basically it's it's, I mean, it's both good and bad to hear that it takes a long time, but I think the important message is, you know, is to commit yourself to a healing program and don't worry you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not completely better at the end of one month, um, the most important thing is to keep going, get all the right, you know, factors in place and, and you will recover. Um, is yes. that the, is that the message?
1: Yes, definitely. That, you know, most people, and I can't give you a percentage, you can't give you a number, but most people are going to recover from long covid It's just going to take time and it depends on how well you were before you had COVID and um, what you do afterwards in terms of a healthy lifestyle and the the supplements. And I've deliberately tried to phase the treatment so that people do take their time. Because we know from treating athletes that people who try to go back too quickly, um, they can make the mitochondrial dysfunction worse. So, You know, leaving the exercise a bit later and just doing gentle exercise and focusing on getting lots of rest and sleep. And it's not something that people value as much as they used to. You know, if you go back to Victorian times, people used to go to bed for a week when they had a cold. Now it's difficult to get people to take a day off work. Um, So our values have changed. And I think we need to go back to those older values of letting our body take its time to recover so that you end up with a, a better result in the long run if you take it slowly and decide to take the three to six months to uh, let your body heal.
0: So let's talk about exercise in that content uh, context because some people of course are, are very they want to get back to their exercise program is it important to exercise to recover uh, for example lung function breathlessness or, you know, how slowly should you take it? Obviously, doing no exercise is probably not so great. What's what's your recommendation in relation to exercise?
1: Right. Well, particularly with the lung symptoms, I think the important thing is to look at your breathing. Now, one of the things that we realise now is a lot of people don't breathe properly to start off with. They breathe very shallowly. They don't expand the lower parts of their lungs. And so this is where... You know, pneumonia can set in easily. The um, You can get consolidation and what we call atelectasis, which is where the those parts of your lungs don't expand when you breathe in. So if you are not deep breathing to start off with you're, and you get COVID infection, you're more likely to get those lung problems because the bottom of your lungs are not getting expanded to start off with. So one of the things you can do is focus on your breathing technique and expanding those lower parts of your lungs and you can start that anytime and one of the things i really love is a book called Breathology, which has been written by a free diver now free divers are experts in breathing and um you know this guy is uh, from finland he's an expert uh free diver and he's written this book on how hu- telling you how to breathe properly, how to expand your lungs, how to um, breathe deeply and, and open up all the areas of your lungs. So if you start with something like that, and I would recommend downloading his book, it's free and um, focus on that. And then there's a lot of other things that lung specialists can get you to do, like um, there's little machines like tri-flows where you can use those to sh- measure your progress and expand your lungs. And then I would go on to graded exercise after that. So, um, you know, gentle exercise, but focusing on exercise that really improves your mitochondria, like um, high-intensity interval training, which research has shown that if you do that and you do it properly, a lot of people don't do it properly, but if you do high-intensity interval training, you get new mitochondria forming much quicker than, say, if you go for a run or, um, you know, some high intensity aerobic exercise so that would be my recommendations
0: now this is brilliant a lot of information and i want to say that dr shirley's online program um which consists of a number of very of short seminars that teach you this and also there's a very good uh ebook that you get that takes you through all the processes uh so don't worry if you don't remember all this it's a very excellent program it's extremely um well priced uh, i must admit uh, what ex- what is the price i know the australian dollar is about you know pretty much one pound equals two dollars but it's uh, what is the price well
1: at the moment it's 21 pounds okay. so it's really i wanted to make it affordable for everyone
0: mm-hmm.
1: so it's um you know it's no more expensive than the price of a book
0: yeah so I think that's you know a really, really good thing to do if you're going through long COVID, post-COVID. If you do have uh, questions, Shirley talks about all the different nutrients you need and obviously what's available in Australia and the UK is different. So we can always guide you, just ask through Facebook and we'll let you know what's available in the UK and how that works. And please do use the code, uh, ph10. We'll give you, the link is in the introduction online to this podcast. Do use the code PH10 because we need to raise some money. We need 15,000 pounds in total to run the vitamin C uh, care home study. We've already raised about 5,000. And that's all from individuals, just giving 50 pounds or 100 pounds. So very kindly, Dr. Shirley has agreed. Anyone who puts PH10, she's going to donate to help to fund this study. So you get well and uh, people in care homes get uh, taken care of. Uh, So Dr. Shirley, thank you very, very much for unpacking um, this critical uh, topic of long COVID and how to recover naturally. Thank you very much. And we look forward to hearing uh, results from anyone following this program uh, as you make progress and recover completely back to your normal and hopefully beyond normal function. But remember, it does take time. It's going to take a few months. So be kind and gentle on yourself. Thank you, Shirley.
1: Thank you very much, Patrick. bye. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.